Hello and welcome to a week 12 DFS tournament recap. My name is Adam Levitan, one of the co-founders here at ETR. I am joined by the most unstoppable man in high stakes DFS tournaments. It is Mike Leone who's coming off his second win in the Thunderdome in the last, what, month? Two wins in a month for Leone in the Thunderdome, which, by the way, is the flagship tournament for high stakes on DraftKings. Is that correct, Leone? Two wins in a month? Hashtag how rich? <laughs> yeah, two two wins the last four weeks. It's been a lot of uh, chalk chaos and chalk failure, and that sort of plays into the hands of of how I like to make teams. So it's it's been a good run. That's exactly what I want to talk about today. So Mike, I think, plays a contrarian, a super contrarian style of DFS better than anyone. And I think as you see here in this tournament, and you know, this tournament, the Thunderdome, there's only 40 people. It's not, uh, it's $5,300 buy-in. But I think some of the things that we can take from Mike's team here can be extrapolated to all tournaments. And biggest thing that we can take is what happens when the chalk fails. What we mean by the chalk is the players that most people are playing. And really the good plays. I mean, the plays that on paper are good. The thing is, football is a game of absolute, chaos a one game sample size of nfl football absolutely anything can happen and so what mike is trying to do and we're trying to do in terms is capitalize when things go crazy so why don't you talk to the people here they're going to say leone you spent fifty three hundred dollars to play ben roethlisberger <laughs> and adam thielen and and cordell patterson and all these plays that nobody else even thought about playing so talk to the people about this team there there were some ugly plays in here for sure but it, what, there's a few things that can go right when the chalk fails or even like rewinding before the chalk failing. Like if you're going to play contrarian, as long as it's not stupid contrarian and you have, you know, a reasonable projection on your total team, guys with high ceilings and good correlation throughout, you can make these teams where you're getting way off the board from other people. And it seems crazy, but there's a few different ways you can win when that happens. The first way is, you know, a player like Cordero Patterson goes off and nobody else has them and you're able to separate from the field. So that's one way. The The other way it can happen, you know, if we look at, I'm trying to find one of the teams I know, it just had a lot of chalk players in it, you know, but it, the other way is Michael Pittman at 60% scores nine points. You know, James Robinson only scores 13. You know, Chris Godwin at 50% scores six. So you can survive some of these ugly scores from Ben Roethlisberger and Jamar Chase, just because the chalk out there failed so much. So you are playing from behind in the sense that other people are making higher projected teams, but there's more ways for you to separate yourself and get to the top, which is more important because these payout structures and tournaments are obviously all top heavy. And then the third kind of way, if you're playing contrarian is you get some really good information early in your lineups and you can usually use that information to make intelligent late swap decisions. You know, you can decide if you want to swap um, to some lower owned players later, just kind of seeing where you are in the standings and, you know, based on like, okay, did my 3% quarter out Patterson go really well? Yeah, it did. So, you know, maybe I'm okay late. Whereas uh, if the 50% Godwin and 50% Pittman had scored 25s each, I knew I would have been in trouble and maybe would have had to, to get creative and late swap later. I think those are all good points. I think what people say is, yeah, I, I know not to play the chalk. I want to play a contrarian style. I don't know which players to play. So maybe you should bring up our projections and our uh, sort by ceiling. And so here you can see on Establish the Run, you can find our projections there in the columns 
obviously the player, the salary, what his base projection is, is there under DK projection value is what we think his salary adjusted value is the higher, the better projected ownership, not actual ownership, projected ownership is the next column. And then our ceiling projection is in the last column on the right. And so people say, I, like I said, I don't want to play contrary. I don't want to play the chalk. I, I don't want to, but I don't know who to play. So why don't you talk about deciding who we know you're not playing the chalk. How do you decide who specifically to play? Yeah, if you're playing in small field tournaments, I mean, I know not everyone's playing a 40-person tournament, but there are some really good 100, 200-person tournaments that you can play at all buy-in levels. The one thing you'll notice is people are more likely to play their cash game lineups in there. So this is our projected ownership for the large field million maker. And I'm not looking taking these numbers exactly because I know it's going to change in small field because people are playing their cash lineups. I'm sort of looking at the tier breaks. And you can kind of see... You know, there's James Robinson, McCaffrey, Miles Sanders, Barkley, like a clear top tier that I'm sort of staying away from because I know they're going to get inflated. And especially on a week where our value projections, now Dylan was like, you know, a unique case because Aaron Jones might not have played, but uh, on a week where our value projections with the exception of McCaffrey are all pretty tight, like give me the, the next guy after that tier break. And what you saw is James Robinson in small field comes in you know, 30%, even in like some other 200, 300 person tournaments, Christian McCaffrey comes to 30%. Miles Sanders comes in high, you know, Barkley was someone I was on early in the week and just, he caught some more attention in our final ownership run. We had him over 20%. So at that point, if I know all these guys are going to get played a little bit more than we're projecting in large field, all the other guys after it sort of have to get played a little bit less for the math to work out. And that's sort of how I ended up on Patterson. You can see we had a 23 ceiling projection on him, 23.8 on James Robinson. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to take the lower owned guy. And I really wanted to play Barkley, but we actually had a higher ceiling projection on Patterson and a lower ownership. So I made like a really last second decision. You're talking through with Andrew Wiggins was like, you know, Barkley's going to get played a little bit more than we think. And Peter Overset got me on Patterson a little bit. Um, and then if you look at wide receiver to your point, you can sort on ceiling and just like kind of line up, you know, the ownership and you might have to sacrifice a little bit of projected, you know, base value, but you can start to see the guys that, that stick out. Like all these guys are double digits at wide receiver until we get to Justin Jefferson. Mm -hmm. I like that game, Jamar Chase, who is in my lineup and Thielen here is the first guy that you get sorted on ceiling that's sub 5% and we still had him as a positive value. So, uh, you know, I just thought it made a lot of sense to correlate that with some of the San Francisco guys. And, um, you know, you can kind of combine the ceiling, the ownership and the correlation all together. Actually, if I bring it up to um, I'll bring up our GPP game scores for the week, which is a table we put together to try and combine basically all the factors of the most relevant players, the projected ownership, the projected value, the ceiling, the salary of stuff. And, you know, you can see, it'll take a second here to I'll sort this, but our highest game scores of the week were Pittsburgh, Cincinnati was one Minnesota, San Francisco was the highest. And I think, uh, Jets Houston were in there, but so I, I basically ended up playing, you know, two of those three games in this lineup. Yeah. So uh, understanding what your opponents are going to do, I think is the number one thing after you are able yeah. to do that, understand what players you want to be on. I think that the stack though is one of the things that people should think about first, right? Identify the stacks that you want to play. You identified Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, 
as a stack here. We're going to go through some teams later that were on Jimmy G stacks and maybe Kirk Cousins stacks as well. How do you go about identifying which stack you want to play? Yeah. Sorry, Holm. One last thing on the chalk thing. Just like another good example was like Gronkowski and Firemuth at the same price mm -hmm. level. I thought Firemuth would get played a little bit more than he did. But again, you can kind of see the tier drop offs where Gronk is like clearly the highest and we know he's going to get, you know, steamed in small field because of that. And then Firemuth, even though he's a really good play, he's got a lot of coverage from Gronk at the exact same price, basically, and a few other guys we projected for more. But yep. as far as the actual stacks, yeah, um, I think the game scores helped me to get on that a little bit. What I really want are concentrated offenses um, and you know games that can get up tempo. For this team in particular, I liked the Big Ben stuff as gross as it was, just because I felt like this is the type of game for Cincinnati where you know, half the time it goes really poorly, but you know, maybe 10 to 20% of the time we get the right script. And we sort of got the right script. Ben was just got awful. He probably should have even had, had less points. But I knew if it hit that it was a condensed tree, right? Ebron was out. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster's out. Condensed passing game. And guys are going to get there on catches if they're going to get there. And same thing with Minnesota. We kind of know where the ball is going to go. And I thought that game could get up tempo. So I did a mini correlation with Adam Thielen, Brandon Ayuk. And I'm also cognizant too of my stack. I want a guy like Jamar Chase on the other side of the Pittsburgh where you know, the idea is like he can make big plays, right? He speeds up the game and now I get more possessions uh, and I get you know more plays coming from behind for Ben and the stack. You know, We do that with players like Jonathan Taylor sometimes who's a really good bring back because, you know, Nick Chubb, because they can break these long runs and all of a sudden the game just gets nutty because we had, you know, you not only scored 15 fantasy points in a minute, but the other team got the ball back immediately and is playing from behind. Yeah. You can go back and watch some of our other videos about understanding correlation more. There was one from a team last year that I had that one, the juke that we went through and talked a lot about how teams can push and pull each other and, and force them into higher scoring games. You mentioned late swap briefly. I think it's an important thing for people to understand. If you have a team at 1 p.m., very simply, if you have a team at 1 p.m. that played really well, you can afford, you should have more of the quote-unquote best plays, the best base plays in your lineup. If your team failed at 1 o'clock, you need to get really weird. And honestly, like it, it can be hard to tell sometimes if you're on the border, even if you're not on the border, like you think that your team played really well, you have to be really sure that your team played really well not to get contrarian at four o'clock. So why don't we talk through some of the late swap stuff here quickly, then I want to get to a couple other teams. Yeah, generally, if I'm on the border of if I need to swap or not into something a little bit lower owned, you know, the push is to swap, you know, just because I think there's a tendency to overrate like hanging on to min cash equity when in some of these tournaments like uh you know the 777 tournament here on on DraftKings I play a lot like 150 person tournament first to second is a 10k difference you know that's the same difference as second to not cashing 42nd right so if I'm overly concerned with min cashing and completely sacrificing whatever odds I have of actually coming in first, like that's a mistake because, you know, it's the same dollar droppage. It just feels a little bit different. You know, humans have a little bit of loss version. So 
you you really do want to swap when you're in trouble and generally when i'm swapping i'm really thinking of what's the best case scenario for players you know, like how do they get to their ceiling so you know there are some guys that i'm like hesitant to swap onto which are like sometimes i'm hesitant to swap onto studs and duds teams where the dud side of things like the guys just don't there might be like a receiver that's only going to see a few targets right like if i really need this alpha game i'm not going to get it i generally like to swap onto more balanced stuff where i can see like okay this five to six k player and another five to six k player if it goes completely right like they can both hit their pure ceilings i might even reduce correlation sometimes if i need a ton of ceiling late because when we start this late, we want to have to get less things right. So we like the correlation. But when we're behind and we have to hit the pure nuts, at that point, if we want the 99th percentile outcome, we might want to just hope, you know, like George Kittle has a massive game and, and not play Brandon Ayuk and switch Ayuk to, you know, someone on Denver late who could also mm -hmm. have a massive game. So those are the different things I'm thinking through on late swap. Um, I don't know how specifically we want to get on the slate, but uh, I think I did cost some people some money by... Uh, Fighting uh, on uh, Elijah Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, the Elijah Mitchell stuff. Yeah, we, we can talk about that in podcast going forward. But yeah, he was unbelievable. Um, as an example of understanding what do you win when you win, why don't you bring up my team from FanDuel? I played this in the Monster, which is an 800-person tournament. Mm -hmm. Ended up getting 40th or so. But I think this team was not great. And, under, and what I mean by that is I'm not even sure I had a chance to get first with this team. I mean, maybe I did, but it would have had to have been like such a clean run out because what do I win when I win? I played so many guys that were high owned. Jimmy G to Debo was one of the most popular stacks on the slate. And I knew that going in. I, and I, I just, I just couldn't get my head around it. I wanted to play a Jimmy G stack. I should have played on DraftKings because on FanDuel, if you looked at our ownership projections, or if you understood what was going to be played in cash, Jimmy G was going to be one of the most owned on the slate. I also played a chalk defense, which I want to get to in a second here. So, in other words, I'm not sure that I even could have gotten first with this lineup, which is obviously so bad when this when it's so, so, so top-heavy. So the whole point that we always talk about, what do you win when you win? Even if Jimmy G went off, I'm not sure that I win. So I, this is an example of a team that finished well. 40th out of 800 is is solid. I don't think it was a great team, though. Are you following what I'm saying, Emilio? Yeah, I think, you know, Jimmy G did stick out. And, it, you know, it's ironic the winner had Jimmy G, but you can see the winner had you know, some separation by playing like a 5% Eli Mitchell, a 10% Leonard Fournette, a 12% Gaskin. Um, so they're a little bit more off the board plays to get there. And um, there are sometimes these weird circumstances where the guys, when they project as better values on one site, they're actually better tournament players on the yeah. other site because the ownership aspect of it's actually more important than the projected value. And Garoppolo is an example of that, you know, 16% here, um, I had him in, you know, at 6% in the 777. Yeah. So a pretty big difference there. Kittle 7%, IU 10%. Um, and then like the Thielen bring back 9%. Like all those guys are a little bit higher over here. I think to knowing that you were playing a chalk Jimmy, you know, one of the biggest separations between the first and your team is, like you played Dalvin, who we kind of knew was the chalk running back there. Uh, mm -hmm. Bringing back with Thielen kind of was a lot of leverage there. You know, you outscored Dalvin. You double him up, essentially, for a sixth the ownership, and you save a lot of salary doing it. And it also frees up a running back slot with John FanDuel. You know, if you run into the right touchdowns at running back because of the way the scoring is, it's such a huge deal, which 
you know, essentially E. Hafner, you know, ran uh, old school uh, DFS guy. He's been around for a while, but, you know, runs into the three touchdown for net game at, you know, a thousand bucks cheaper than for net and four touchdown for net game. Four touchdown. Oh my God. He had the receiving touchdown. <laughs> Leonard for breaking slates. So, um, and the Fournette play, I wasn't on, but in hindsight, the Tampa Bay stacks were so chalky too. Like something else to be aware of when you're going contrarian is you don't have to do this for every team, every game. Sometimes you can just fade a game because it just doesn't go right. But sometimes it does make sense to say, like, let me directly leverage. Like, so everyone's playing Tom Brady and Chris Godwin. How does that fail? Well, Tampa Bay could still do really well, score 38 points, but it's Leonard Fournette, right? And and that's a similar thing with the Thielen play versus Cook. It's like, not only do I get the reward of Fournette doing well, of Thielen doing well, but I double down on that reward because that means other guys that other people are playing at a much higher rate aren't scoring. Yeah. Okay. Last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here is this chalk defense conversation. Maybe it's not a great conversation to have on FanDuel this week because the chalk defense absolutely went off. The Bengals and the Dolphins were so, so, so cheap and they went off on FanDuel and you actually could win with them. But in most scenarios, most weeks, and we saw it on DraftKings, I think to some degree this week, playing high owned defense is so, so, so bad because we just don't know. Like if you could tell me before a slate, what's the one position that I would want to know who the highest score was before the slate, I would say defense every time because it's so hard to project and you can separate so, so, so wildly. So like on DraftKings there, you can see like the Texans and the Jaguars and the Falcons were chalk. They did okay, you know, three, six, five points, whatever. But if you got onto something different like Miami, and by the way, the Dolphins uh, uh, were in uh, Thorne's article um, as were the Panthers. And so like, you know, th there's like, th it's just really hard to project, I guess is my point. And so we should never, ever be running in to the chalk at defense. And yeah, I hundred percent agree. I mean, even though the Texans on DraftKings came in at 36%, if you played, and this, this is the point about, you know, the players that project as better values on one side or better tournament plays on the other, no better example than defense this week where yeah. the Bengals were 5%, the Dolphins were low. Those were literally the two chalk defenses on FanDuel. On DraftKings, if you played them because they outscored the Texans by so much, you needed a lot less right to to win, you know, in your lineup. You can survive a lot of, you know, things going poorly. Whereas on FanDuel, Adam, you hit on the defense, mm -hmm. right? Um, you hit on the defense, but you're not getting this outsized reward. So I think it's easy to see like, oh, why wouldn't I play the chalk defense? The, you know, the two chalk defenses scored the most points. Well, you know, you didn't separate from the field a ton. You still needed a lot to go right. Even this team that won first, they made some good plays, but they need they needed them to go right. The defense didn't necessarily help them in a big way. Whereas if they would have played something lower owned, yes, they would have gotten buried by the chalk defenses. But sometimes you just got to take your L's when that happens and understand that the W's are going to be much easier to come by when it goes right. Yeah. What do you win when you win, especially at the defense position? All right. Hope you guys enjoyed this recap with the true king, Michael Leone of the GPP streets. You can catch him and Drew Dinkmeyer every Saturday morning talking about each slate specific strategy. And again, this is not a pick the best players game. The game that we're playing in tournaments is more of a strategy game. And I think Mike and Drew every Saturday morning on Establish the Run are two of the best at it. I appreciate you guys listening here. Go back and check out some of our other 
videos on tournament strategy if you are interested. For Leone, for Producer Mike, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm -hmm.